Welcome back to another episode of Peter's Proffer here in the courtroom of current events. And today we are going to talk about the newest Supreme Court nominee, Amy Coney Barrett. We're going to talk about all the controversy surrounding her nomination based on the timing of President Trump. Um, then the death of Ruth Bader Ginsburg, and whether or not she is qualified to be a Supreme Court justice. We're going to go through all that today. I've got my dad on the show. He's going to break down some of the history of these types of appointments and the historic nomination that Trump would have this many nominations on the Supreme Court for a president that's uh, been in office less than four years. So hopefully you guys are interested in this topic. If you have anything you want to hear us talk about, feel free to reach out on social media at Tragos Law is our handle, or you can send me an email, petertragos at greeklaw.com. All right, Dad. So when talking about Amy Coney Barrett, I think a good place to start is how does somebody that is a law professor four years ago jump all the way up to being a Supreme Court nominee now in 2020? Well, it's the common thought. Who you know, what clubs you belong to, all of that went into this. Because basically she was an unknown college professor at Notre Dame. But the White House counsel at the time uh, when Trump got elected, a guy named McGahn, M-C-G-A-H-N, McGahn said, you know what? I know somebody from Notre Dame because McGahn went to Notre Dame. I know somebody who was a member of the Federalist Society because McGahn was a member of the Federalist Society. And a lot of people in Florida should also realize that a lot of the judges that have been picked by DeSantis, one of the big things are common threads is they all belong to the Federalist Society. And what is the Federalist Society? Basically, they believe in the originalist and the textualist doctrine of judicial philosophy. Which, which means what? Which means, number one, for when we talk about textualists, it says what it means. It doesn't have to be interpreted. If there's wording in the Constitution that says this, then that's what the Constitution meant. And the originalists believe that it is meant to be the way the people who wrote it meant it to be. In other words, the, at the time it was written, they meant it to be something. You can't change that meaning because culture has changed. So they believe in those two basic philosophies. And what, what's the opposing view of those philosophies? That culture changes and that the people who wrote the Constitution could not have anticipated these particular changes like technology, So for they instance. have to interpret it in a way that includes the cultural changes and advancements. Yeah, basically, and that means in some cases even changing the meaning of the actual words as they were written. And that's the, I guess, the opposite view of the Federalists. So with Coney Barrett specifically, um, what happened after McGahn brought her into basically getting noticed by the president? Well, what was going on at that time was that Kennedy was gone, and they were looking for someone to appoint in Kennedy's spot. And that's where they also brought Kavanaugh in. Kavanaugh was on the same list she was on. But because she wasn't, didn't have a lot of judicial experience, that's how Kavanaugh won the Supreme Court seat. But they put her in the Seventh Circuit seat to be on the Seventh Circuit Court of Appeals. And when she was nominated for the Seventh Circuit Court of Appeals, then we started to get some questions about her religion during that nomination process because that also has to be by advice and consent of the Senate. So she came before the Senate Judiciary Committee, was asked a lot of questions about her religion, and basically by Diane Feinstein or Senator Feinstein. And one of the questions was that the dogma lives loudly in you, referring to her Catholic faith. 
when she was confirmed out of the Senate, the White House all got coffee cups. And on the coffee cup it said, the dogma lives loudly in you. So that's how she became like a favorite of the president. And that's how she became a person that we knew eventually, everyone knew she would eventually be nominated for the Supreme Court. If Trump was the one doing the nominating. Correct. So so how long has she been on the Seventh Circuit Court of Appeals? She was on there for three years. Okay, so then let's talk about her qualifications. I mean, she's on the Seventh Circuit Court of Appeal for three years. What's her educational background? What other experience does she have that makes her qualified to be a Supreme Court justice? She went to Rhodes College, uh, English literature major. Uh, as you would expect, she was Phi Beta Kappa and Magna Cum Laude. Then she went to Notre Dame Law School. She went on a full scholarship. She was editor of the Law Review, and she was first in her class when she graduated. Not bad. She mar- No, and she married one of her classmates, Jesse Barrett, who was an assistant U.S. attorney for 13 years, which, being a former assistant, I think is a wonderful qualification. Uh, she has seven children. Uh, she adopted uh, two from Haiti, and she has one child with Down syndrome. Okay, so... I understand her educational background and and family background obviously shows that she is a well-rounded individual, but what specifically qualification-wise to be a Supreme Court justice, what does she have as far as that goes? Well, she has the intellect, obviously, and then the education, I mean, the employment background. She was the clerk for Justice Scalia for several years, and Scalia was just like her, an originalist and a textualist. And she says, in fact, in her acceptance speech when President Trump nominated her, that she follows that same philosophy. Uh, She also was in private practice for several years in D.C. And the firm she worked for was a firm that worked on the Bush-Gore conflict in the Supreme Court about who would be elected president, basically, with the Electoral College. She became a professor at Notre Dame. She was a professor of federal practice. She was a professional uh, professor of constitutional law. And for three and three times, she was elected the distinguished professor at Notre Dame. Okay, so she obviously has a lot of academic achievements. She's worked in private practice on cases that have gone up to the Supreme Court. She clerked for Scalia. Nobody better to clerk for than a Supreme Court justice if you want to do that one day. Um, and then she has served on the Seventh Circuit. So does she have a decision track record we can look at to see you know, what, what kind of decisions we can expect from her when she's on the Supreme Court if she gets confirmed. Oh, absolutely. And that's one of the things that will be really dug into by uh, the Senate when they go through it. For instance, she did the case, the case against the uh, University of Purdue, where the student said uh, he was discriminated against because he was accused of sexual uh, battery or sexual harassment. There was no hearing. He was not allowed to confront the uh person accusing him. He was not allowed to challenge what they said was his confession. They just suspended him without any hearing or due process. And she wrote that opinion saying that he was entitled to due process and that they had to take him back and give him that due process to face his accuser and to have a hearing and hear the testimony to make a decision. Secondly, she's a Second Amendment proponent according to her opinions in that there was a law saying that guns could be given to nonviolent offenders, I believe it was in Indiana. And she said, yes, that she upheld that statute saying that it was all right to give guns to nonviolent offenders. She has ruled on immigration cases where she has consistently sided with the government, basically President Trump, on immigration issues. She has twice voted for the entire court, and we call it en banc, where the whole court hears a uh, 
here's a decision, twice on abortion cases to try to get the entire court to rule on abortion, and she has written minority opinions or dissenting opinions with regarding to abortion. She's also written several articles showing how she believes in marriage being a man and a woman. So these are all things that certainly give a hint as to what her judicial philosophy and what her personal feelings are. She specifically, though, made it a point when she was appointed by the president to say that her decisions aren't based on her religious beliefs, but are based on the law. Okay, so it sounds like she has shown a history of decision-making and decisions that are going to come down that are in line with conservatives, the Republican Party, President Trump. Um, Is that uncommon when a president nominates a Supreme Court justice? Absolutely. A president looks for someone who is consistent with their philosophy. And why is that? When a president campaigns, he campaigns on a particular philosophy of what he believes. When a president is elected, it's because the majority of the uh, people or the electorate believe the same way the president does, and he has a duty to represent the feelings of those people. So that's why he finds someone that's consistent with those feelings and consistent with that philosophy. Because it wouldn't make sense, obviously, if a, a conservative president nominated a liberal judge or vice versa, because all of their supporters and all of their voters aren't looking for that agenda, basically, for lack of a better word. I mean, the country is very split today and it's very divisive today, but it's always been like this. From the beginning of time, has a president ever nominated somebody that's politically opposed and has all uh, opposing views of what they have? Well, obviously, I I don't know everyone, but I can't imagine that's ever happened. Not in your lifetime. (laughs) Right, right? absolutely. So, I mean, this is what happens. Like, nobody should be surprised. The president is going to nominate somebody that shares the same views as them, just like you know, other Democratic and Republican presidents have in the past. Now, the Supreme Court justices don't always act how you expect them to act, even with Trump's recently, right? Like, they they didn't necessarily act exactly how he would have expected them to act when he appointed them. But if you look at their background and if you look at their history and their decision-making, he thinks they're going to do what he would do, right? I mean, that's why the presidents nominate certain justices. Well, Bush nominated Roberts as an example, and Roberts has been a surprise because he has voted uh, sometimes with the liberal bloc uh, in the United in the right. Supreme Court. Right, you never know what they're going to do because right. they're supposed to be following the law and they're doing their job the best of their ability, and you just look at their track record and, and you make those decisions. Yeah. So, so it's really, I don't understand why it's surprising that Trump would pick a very conservative, you know, judicial nominee for the Supreme Court, but... There still is controversy. So why is there controversy? What's so controversial about this pick? Well, for instance, she wrote an article years ago about what cases she thought were stare decisis. That's what we call, you know, precedence that you can't change. Uh, one of the cases she didn't list in that article about a case she couldn't change was Roe v. Wade. And that's the case that established abortion. So she basically said this case and that case and this case and that case are never changing in her mind, but there are some that may change. Right. And that one, that's one of them. Uh, so that, you know, obviously liberals seize on that to realize that this really could happen. And what's funny is she said it was way too broad. And even Ginsburg, who everybody says is the most liberal uh, justice, and she, you know, obviously she just passed away. She, even she said Roe v. Wade was written too broadly. So it should have been a narrower. What she thinks, or what uh, the new justice thinks, she believes that maybe the funding issue, who pays for, yeah, Barrett, who pays for the abortions is going to be the big issue that comes up. So again, and, and that's the other thing, is when people like to talk a lot about things they don't understand and don't know. 
right? So they hear Roe versus Wade, and they hear that it's not stare decisis, and they automatically think, okay, abortion's now illegal. We're going to put people in jail that have abortions. That is not at all what it means, and that's not at all how the law works, and things don't have these crazy swings like that. But like you're saying, there may be pieces of it that are overturned or changed or whatever, or it may not even happen. I mean, the, the point is that that also may not ever happen. It may never change. Um, but, because we don't know what the Supreme Court justices are going to do, but basically what you're saying is she left the door open for some changes to be made to that, and obviously the left side does not like that. So that's going to be controversial. Um, we've already talked about her judicial philosophy and her, her religion being controversial. Um, is there an element, obviously, of Trump that goes into this that's that's controversial? Well, there's the attack of this being an illegitimate process. Okay, why? Because she was appointed so close to the election. Uh, Garland, who was, a, who was appointed years ago, I don't know if you remember this, but before Trump was appointed, Garland got appointed by Obama. by Obama, but he never got Senate confirmation. He was appointed 237 days before the election, and what McConnell said was, oh no, it's too close, we will wait to see who's going to be the next president before we let them have a Supreme Court pick. And then what's he, is McConnell saying the same thing now? No, McConnell Shocking. is saying things are different now. <laughs> of course and the way they, things are different but now... What, 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 what is, happened was... Well, no, the difference is we yeah. have a Republican president and a Republican exactly. Senate. Before, we had a Democratic president and a Republican Senate. So the point is, it's not the timing. Which, Listen, everybody's hypocritical. We get it. All these politicians want to push their agendas, and all the, the right and the left want to push their agendas. So when it benefits them, it's totally cool now because it's a Republican nominee. So we're actually going to go ahead and do this. But when it was a Democratic nominee, well, wait a second. We can block this because we can. And if it was a Democratic-led um, Senate, then they would be blocking it too. Absolutely. Right? So, I mean, everybody knows what it is. It's lining up all Republicans right now. They see an opportunity to pounce. This is, frankly, one of the reasons a lot of uh, middle of the road or, or people that don't love Trump still voted for him. One of the reasons was they saw in the near future that Supreme Court uh, nominees were going to be coming up. And they wanted a Republican president in place. So from my perspective, nobody should be surprised at the flip-flopping that politicians do because every politician flip-flops, every politician does what's best for them, and right now the Republicans are trying to run with this. So um, let, let's talk a little bit about, um, the. and again, we're talking about what's controversial about it. I think another thing that's controversial about it is a president that's been president for less than four years is going to have his third nomination now on a Supreme Court, which is lifetime appointments. So has this ever happened in the past where a president's had three nominees on the Supreme Court? There have been three, but one time there was four. Uh, do you know who that was? Well, I know because it's in the outline. It's Nixon. But <laughs> right. President Nixon had four nominees. Also a president who didn't last very long in the White House. Right. So he has three nominees, and if it gets through, theoretically, the conservative-liberal split on the court will be 6-3. So even if Roberts goes with the liberals, he still would not be in the majority because the conservatives would have a solid majority on the Supreme Court. And again, that's one of the fears, one of the controversies here. You know, the, the Constitution specifically says it's a president's responsibility to nominate a Supreme Court justice. So claiming this is an illegitimate process really doesn't make sense. But all the consistent. Republicans did the same thing when Obama tried to do it. Right. It was the same exact story. But they did it constitutionally because they held a majority sure. of the Senate so they could hold it up. Right. But what I'm saying is they made the same arguments about the timing. It wasn't about who had the majority. The literal end came down to who had the Senate majority. So have there been any polls that talk about 
what the American people want. Do they want Trump to make this nomination or do they want to wait until we have our next president since we're so close to the next election? Well, a majority of the polls show that a majority of the American people want to wait. They think the next president should be the one that appoints the Supreme Court justice. But of course, you know, polls are all subject to error. They're also subject to, you know, who the people are. Do they all, they do all the people in New York or they do it in California? But right now, the polls are showing a majority of the people want to wait. Which I think makes sense. I mean, we're so close to the next election. We're so close to hearing what the American people want right now. And right now is when the Supreme Court justice is going to be nominated. So, I mean, people can understand, and, and we have the benefit now. These last five minutes, we're having to re-record because there was a problem with the audio, and we've had the opportunity to watch the debate, and you hear Biden say things like, the American people have the opportunity to make a decision now as to who they want to make this nomination. But the problem with that is they already have made their decision, right? And they, they already did make their decision four years ago. Well, you know, the, the two sides are, You've got Biden's side that's complaining about the process. He said nothing negative about the nominee. He actually said something positive. He yes. said she was a good choice, said she was a great academic, and he has no problem with the choice right. and the person personally. He just has a problem with the timing, being right. Biden. Right. And then you've got the president who says, you know, I was elected for four years. Elections come with consequences, was his quote. Right. So you've, he has a responsibility under the Constitution all the way you know, through to January that he is the president, he can make the nomination. His party controls the Senate. So that means that he's going to get a nomination theoretically confirmed because they control the Senate. So, and, and I thought it was interesting in the debate that it was all positive about this candidate, about Amy Coney Barrett, and it seemed like nobody had any issues with her personally. But again, it just had to do with the timing. And I think the timing is important because Trump only has a couple months left potentially, and he's going to make a lifetime appointment. And that kind of leads me to my the last part of this podcast is, how do you feel about lifetime appointments? Do you think there should be term limits? And why don't we have them currently? Well, we have them in state court, but not in federal right. court. But for this decision, this is right. a for-life appointment. Well, I think it should be. And the reason that the founding fathers determined that was they want them to be free from political influence. In other words, if you have to run for office... Will the Supreme Court justice be affected by, okay, who is going to contribute to my campaign? How am I going to run? And is he going to have to run for office every six years? So, you know, we have a whole year where, you know, you know, the, the Senate is every six years. Well, those guys are campaigning probably three years into their term. So would a Supreme Court justice have to sit around and campaign while no, he's but deciding I mean, even cases? If, even, if she, even if she was appointed for 20 years or until she was 80 years old, it can be a long appointment. But I do think there is something kind of strange and morbid about everybody waiting for RBG to die or any of these or, or Scalia or anybody that's so old in there and they're just waiting for them to die. And then whenever they happen to die, whoever happens to be president at the time gets to make this lifetime appointment. To me, there is something strange about that. And there is something just random about these old justices, 87 years old, making humongous monumental decisions for our country. No one ever said that because she, I think she was 87 when, when she died, that Justice Ginsburg's mind was anything other than totally sharp and totally on it. 
So I don't think, you know, determining, okay, a certain age or a certain number of years is going to protect you from the problems you're talking about. Has there ever been a Supreme Court justice where they have found to be incompetent and had to step down because of their competency? Not that I know of. Because they would never let it out. I I can't imagine them ever admitting that every single person that's divinely appointed to the Supreme Court never has any mind issues or sharpness issues into their late 80s yet such a high percentage of the country does. Well, how many presidents have you seen leave because their mind was but that's my not point. working well? There, I mean, but you're making my that. point. They're no. not appointed for life. I think They're the, not appointed for life, well, and that's why. I think judges appointed for life make sense, especially the Supreme Court. I think that they should be free from political influence. I agree so with all I that. Don't, and I, think, I don't have any problem with it. I think booting them out when they're 80 years old would solve all those problems. None of them would face political uh, pressure to, after 35 years as a, as a Supreme well, Court justice. Well, then you've got age prejudice, which is we say, is, is this, are people that are 80 years old, are they so infirm they can't be no, a judge? No, I, I just mean I think it would make it some more finality to when you know when this person's term is going to be up and the American people would know when this big consequence is coming in this election because this justice is going to be 80 years old. It just... It's less randomness, and I think that's a good thing. And I do think that, I mean, I don't know. Obviously, you're a lot closer to 80 than I am, so you you understand this better and take offense to the fact that I'm, I'm just picking an arbitrary number at 80 years old. Which, which is, is an arbitrary number. But but my point is, I think there should be some limit on the term. I do think the lifetime appointment is kind of strange, but not, a lot of people disagree with me, so you, I'm just saying that's my feeling. You've got people running for president of the United States that are, I think he's 77 years old. And they're old too, two I mean, old white guys, and they're and they're and they're running for president. And no one is saying that they're you know. I mean, I know there are some allegations there are plenty of people about saying, Trump, but, but <laughs> I, know, I know there are plenty uh, of people that have an but, issue with the age and and right. senile nature of right. both of these screaming candidates but, at each but other. Both of the, one of them is going to be the president. It's States. crazy, and and uh, I had people tell me. We're not going to get too much into the debate since there's not really much to talk about since there was no policy even given in the debate. But this is what we chose and this is what we're left with after 330 million people are in our country. And these are the two guys we have to choose from. Right. So, I mean, I think people are making age and sharpness of minds an issue in this election for both candidates, frankly. Um, and I just think that it's it's kind of going along crazy times. But when focusing specifically on this Supreme Court justice nominee... Do you think that she will get confirmed and be the next justice of the Supreme Court? Yes, I do. I, I don't see any impediment to it. I, I haven't seen anything, and I've read a lot about her, where anybody's really going to be able to poke any holes in her personally. They might complain about the process, but she's an excellent candidate. She's got all the qualifications you want. What is the timing of this like? How quickly does this usually happen? Well, I'm told October 12th will be her first hearing. And from that point on, it's whenever that committee votes her out and the majority of that committee is Republican. When you say vote her out? What do you of the mean? committee. Vote okay. her out of committee. In other words, she has to be recommended to the full Senate from a committee. Right. This committee, by majority vote, by the way, those are rules put in by the Democrats. Majority vote, it goes to the Senate. And the Senate then, by majority vote, will confirm her as a Supreme Court justice. And it really looks like they've got the votes. Okay, so you think it'll happen in 2020? Yes. It'll be done by the end of 2020. It'll, it'll happen in 2020. I also believe that it's going to become a big issue in the senatorial campaigns okay. uh, as to who who retains a majority in the Senate. I think a lot of people will say one way or the other, we want to vote this senator out because you know he didn't wait or we're going to keep him in because he didn't wait. I think it's going to be an issue.
Okay. So that's what we have on the newest nominee. Um, we think she's a good candidate, and we think based on the fact that the Republicans have the majority in the Senate and obviously a Republican president, that this time will be different than when uh, Garland was nominated by President Obama before he finished his time in office. So we will see what happens. Hopefully you guys enjoyed this episode, and we'll be back with you next time.